and pushed them into my hand. Opera comique, he said. Thursday, Friday, the Saturday, the Saturday, the frivolity. That's all, I think. Uh, but, but, I began. Mm, glad you're free, he said, snatching some proofs off the desk and beginning to read. Well, I, I don't quite understand, I said. Hey? He said at the top of his voice, as though he thought I'd gone, and was startled at my remark. Do you want me to criticize these plays? You'll do something with them. Did you think it was a treat? But, but, but I can't. Did you call me a fool? Well, I've never been to a theater in my life. Virgin soil. But I don't know anything about it, you know. That's just it. No view. No habits. No cliches. In stock. Ours is a live paper, not a bag of tricks. None of your clockwork professional journalism in this office. And I can rely upon your integrity. But, but I've conscientious scruples. He caught me up suddenly and put me outside his door. Go and talk to Wembley about that. He'll explain. As I stood perplexed, he opened the door again. I forgot this. And he thrust a fourth ticket into my hand. It was for that night and in twenty minutes' time. Then he slammed the door upon me. His expression was quite calm, but I caught his eye. I hate arguments. I decided that I would take his hint and become, uh, to my own destruction, of course, a dramatic critic. I walked slowly down the passage to Wembley. That Barnaby has a remarkably persuasive way. He has made few suggestions during our very pleasant intercourse over four years that he has not ultimately won me round to adopting. It may be, of course, that I am of a yielding disposition. Certainly I am too apt to take my colour from my circumstances. It is indeed to my unfortunate susceptibility to vivid impressions that all my misfortunes are due. I have already alluded to the slight stammer I had acquired from a schoolfellow in my youth. However, this is a digression. I went home in a cab to dress. I will not trouble the listener with my thoughts about the first night's audience. Strange assembly as it is. Those I reserve for my memoirs. Nor the humiliating story of how I got lost during the entr'acte in a lot of red plush passages and saw the third act from the gallery. The only point upon which I wish to lay stress was the remarkable effect of the acting upon me. You must remember I had lived a, a quiet and retired life and had never been to the theatre before, and that I am extremely sensitive to vivid impressions. At the risk of repetition, I must insist upon these points. The first effect was a profound amazement, not untinctured by alarm. The phenomenal unnaturalness of acting is a thing discounted in the minds of most people by early visits to the theatre. They get used to the fantastic gestures, the flamboyant emotions, the weird mouthings, melodious snortings, agonizing yelps, lip gnawings, glaring horrors, and other emotional symbolism of the stage. It becomes at last a mere deaf and dumb language to them which they read intelligently, pan passu, with the hearing of the dialogue. But all this was new to me. The thing was called a modern comedy. The people were supposed to be English. 
and were dressed like fashionable Americans of the current epoch, and I fell into the natural error of supposing that the actors were trying to represent human beings. I looked round on my first night audience with a kind of wonder, discovered, as all new dramatic critics do, that it rested with me to reform the drama, and after a supper, choked with emotion, went off to the office to write a column, piebald with new paragraphs. As all my stuff is, it fills out so, and purple with indignation, Barnaby was delighted, but I could not sleep that night. I dreamt of actors, actors glaring, actors smiting their chests, actors flinging out a handful of extended fingers, actors smiling bitterly, laughing despairingly.